Parshas Chayetzara, the splendid home. When we think about the destruction of the two Batei Migdash, it's important to recognize that there was a Churban that took place even before that. Before the Beis HaMikdash in Yerushalayim, we had the Mishkan. The Mishkan that Moshe Rabbeinu built in the Midbar with his own hands. Vayakem Moshe et HaMishkan. Moshe was a big, strong man. He picked up the huge logs, the Kroshim, and set it all up himself. Ah, the Beis HaMikdash that was built by Moshe, our teacher. It's true. It was much smaller than the Beis HaMikdash in Yerushalayim. It was collapsible so that the Bnei Yisrael should be able to transport it from place to place for 40 years. But this house of Hashem came before David and Shlomo built the Beis HaMikdash. And the Shekhinah dwelt in the Mishkan in a way that was never equal to again. What Shlomo HaMelech built later was not the same. It was tremendous. It was big and beautiful and filled with Kedusha. But still, they looked back with longing for those great days when we had the Beis HaMikdash in the wilderness. And it lasted many years. Don't think it was just 40 years. After the Bnei Yisrael crossed over the Yardin, the Mishkan that was built there in the Midbar stood in Shiloh for another 369 years. 40 years in the Midbar, and then another 369 years in Shiloh. That's more than 400 years that our nation benefited from the Mishkan built by Moshe Rabbeinu himself. And therefore, when the Plishtim destroyed Mishkan Shiloh, it was a very great tragedy in our history. But the truth is, there was an even bigger Chorban that took place before the destruction of the Mishkan Shiloh. When we think about that day of Tamat Sarah, when Sarah Imenu passed away, you must understand that it wasn't merely the death of the first of our Imaos. That itself would have been enough to cry about, absolutely, but it was much more than that. We have to know that it was a Chorban Beis Hamikdash. It was the destruction of the first Beis Hamikdash of the Am Yisrael. That's the truth. The first and greatest Churban Beis Hamikdash was when Sarah passed away. The Rambam says that. In his introduction to Sefer Shemos, he says that the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, dwelt in the tent of Abraham and Sarah. And when they passed away, the Shekhinah no longer had any place to be. Of course, to a certain extent, the Shekhinah remained. Because the other Avos and Imos tried as much as possible to keep up the traditions. When Yitzchak wed Rivka, it says Befeirish that he brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother. And then, V'yinochim Yitzchak achare emo. Yitzchak was consoled after his mother. What does that mean? His mother used to make Kenedalich. And therefore, Rivka now again started making Kenedalich. Avram didn't have servants who could make Kenedalich for him. What was it that his mother gave Yitzchak that only Rivka could console? Why couldn't his father console him? The answer is, it was Rivka who supplied what Sarah had formerly done. Sarah was the mother inside the tent. She made that place a base amigdash. Rivka did her best to step into the shoes of Sarah Imenu. It wasn't the same, however. It just wasn't the same. And later again, Yaakov and Rochel and Leah, and then the Shavatim, they lived extraordinary lives of dedication to Hashem. No question about it. And to a certain extent, the spirit still continued. But it didn't compare with the tent that Avraham and Sarah built. You have no idea of the perfection of Avraham and Sarah, the perfection of the home they built together. There was nothing like it. And therefore, when Sarah passed away, that was the first Churban, the presence of HaKadosh Baruch who went into exile at that time. And they remained in exile until the children of Yisrael passed through the great experiences. Yitzhak Mitzrayim and the Kriyas Yamsuf and Matan Torah. 
And they were now elevated to such a very great degree of perfection that these great people were now able to come together to build the sanctuary, a mishkan in the Midbar, where the Shekhinah that had resided at the tent of Avram and Sarah could now finally come to rest again. Now, to our ears, that seems exaggerated. But you have to know that the menorah and the shulchan and the mishkan and the beis hamigdash were only replicas of the menorah and the shulchan in Sarah's tent. When the Kohanim brought korbonos and lit the menorah, when they put the lechem apanim on the shulchan, it was an imitation. The shulchan was an imitation of the shulchan on which Avram and Sarah ate. And the menorah was an imitation of Sarah's candles. The Chachamim say that. The Medrash in Vayikra Rabbah says that when Avram brought a par for each visitor, it was the prototype for the par of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. You hear such a thing? The par of Yom Kippur was just an echo of the par that Avraham slaughtered for every visitor. And you can be sure that the chalas that Sarah made were a prototype for the chalas that were served in the Beis Amigdash. The lachmei toida and the lechem aponim and the shtei halechem. When Sarah was baking, she wasn't baking. She was making a korban mincha. She was serving Hashem. Everything that was done later in the Beis Amigdash, everything done to cause the Shekhinah to dwell among us, was following the prototype of what was done in that tent because that was the first Beis Hamikdash, And whatever is written about that home is a model for the rest of our history. You know, Yeshaya Hanavi tells us that if we want to achieve greatness in this world, we have to look to Avraham and Sarah and emulate them. In Yeshaya 51, at the beginning, the Navi says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, those who seek Hashem. So what is he telling us now? He's going to tell us how to achieve our goal. Those who wish to become righteous and pursue closeness to Hashem, what is the way? What should you do? Habitu el sur chutzabtem. Look to the rock from which you were hewn out. Ve'el makevet bor nekartem. And to the cistern, that's a pit, from which you came forth. Now what is the rock from which you were hewn out of? What is the cistern, the well, from which we came forth? So Yeshaya continues. Look to Avraham, your father, and to Sarah who gave birth to you. That's the way. The greatest of our first father and mother, the perfection they achieved in the home, is the source for the greatness of our nation. And so, if you want to succeed in attaining tzedek and closeness to Hashem, look at them. Habitu means keep on looking. Study them over and over again. Put your mind into it and be memetic in whatever the Torah tells you about Avram and Sarah or whatever the Chachamim add, Perushim about them. Every detail, every anecdote about them is a gem. And the more serious we are about it, the more we can learn about them and gain greatness. You want to know how to rebuild the Beis Hamikdash of your own? Look at Avram and Sarah who together built a Beis Hamikdash. Now there's a lot to talk about. If we would sit here all day and night Speaking, we would do it for years and years. It still wouldn't be enough, but we have to try, at least a little bit, because we want to build a mikdash like they did, like Avram and Sarah, at least a little bit. Every Jewish home is a base hamikdash, and we want to suffuse it with the atmosphere of Avram and Sarah. Now, don't think it's just a mashal. That's the truth. Every home is a mikdash. When a chassan and kala marry, it's exactly like building a mikdash. That's why if you come to a wedding, you're already doing something extraordinary. If you participate and make them happy at their wedding, it's like you helped to rebuild Yerushalayim. 
Gemara Brachas. A marriage is a rebuilding of Yerushalayim. That's what the Gemara says. And that's why, if they break up their marriage, Chalila, Mizbeach moirid alav dimos, the Mizbeach weeps. Why does it weep? Why should the Mizbeach weep if someone in Borough Park gives a get? Because the base of Migdash has been destroyed. The Shekhinah dwells in the Jewish home, and just like the Shekhinah departed when the Beis HaMikdash was laid waste, the Shekhinah departs when a Jewish home stops functioning. We think it's just words, Mishalim. No, no, I'm not talking Drush. We have no idea the Kedusha in a Jewish home. In ancient times, people understood that. A man once told me, he told this to me about 60 years ago. He had an old mother from Europe who lived with him. He remembered from when he was a little boy, his mother used to say, don't sit on the table. A Jewish table is kadosh. A little boy would sit on the table and his mother would shoo him off. The table is kadosh. We have no idea of the holiness. It's so remarkable, I cannot describe it to you. I myself have no idea of such a kadusha. But people lived for Hashem, and they lived according to Hashem's principles, with His ideals, and they understood the home was much more than a home, a place to live. Once upon a time, people believed in Ma'amare Chazal Kipishuto. Everybody understood that when a man came home from shul with the boys Friday night, he didn't come home alone. Two malachim came along with him. Kipshuto. They believed that Kipshuto. Two malachim came along with him. As they walked in the house, the mother and the daughters were standing all dressed up and greeting them and the malachim as they walked into the doorway. They said, Good Shabbos. It was an experience of feeling the Kedusha. And the Malachim came into the house, and the Malachim saw the table was set. It was a poor little house. The candlesticks were nothing expensive, but they did their best. They took some chicken bones and made soup, whatever it was. From their limited resources, they made Shabbos. And the Malachim gave them a blessing, and they understood it was a blessing. They felt that blessing. Everyone felt the presence of the Kedusha that the Malachim brought into the house. And it lasted all week. All week the house was Kadosh. Now it's true that some of that greatness has been lost, but it's not entirely lost. Baruch Hashem, there are beautiful Jewish homes today. No question, there's Kedusha in every Jewish home today. Those who keep the Torah, no question. The Malachim still come. Whether you think about them or not, they come anyhow. There's no question that the house where Jews live and practice the Torah is a Makam Kadosh. And therefore, when a Chasen and Kala marry and move into a home, they have to know that it's an opportunity to accomplish, to create a Makam Kodosh and bring the presence of Hashem to the Am Yisrael. And don't think that it's an Agav Orcha. You might think the main purpose of being a Jew is to go to the Beis HaKnesses. Oh no, it's very important, no question. But the most important function of the Am Yisrael is building your home as a replica of the Beis HaMegdash. I want to talk to you now about a certain procedure that took place in the Beis HaMegdash. It seems like a small detail, <clears throat> but you'll see soon how important it is, especially for our subject. The Gemara says that every week on Shabbos, the shift of the Kohanim who were working in the Beis HaMegdash changed. The family of Kohanim that had served all week, they went out and a new Mishmar, a different family of Kohanim, came in for the ensuing week. Now the Gemara there in Brachas tells us about an interesting thing that took place when this exchange of shifts was made. The family of Kohanim who are now coming in to start their week of work in the Beis HaMikdash are standing together in a group. And the family of Kohanim that are leaving are facing them. And the ones leaving give a bracha to the ones who are coming in. Now pay attention to the bracha they pronounce. Mi sheshikain et shemo babayit hazeh. 
the one who caused his name to dwell in this house, who Yashkin Benechem, he should cause among you the incoming ones, the new Mishmar, love and brotherhood, peace and friendship. Now that blessing seems to us a puzzle, because when the new Mishmar comes in, they're being entrusted now by the nation with the whole Avoidus Beis Hamigdash. And that's something that is extremely complicated. It's Lomdus, and you must know many details. And in error, even the slightest imperfect thought can Halila make a Kurban Pigul or Pasul. So why didn't they give them a blessing that they should do the Avoidus correctly without any mistakes? If I was there, I would have said, the one who rests his name in the house should help you do all the details of the Avoidus Hashem properly. That's most important. If you bring the wrong kind of a korban, it's a sin. And a chilul Hashem. And I would add, and you should merit the siyata dishmaya to do it lishma too. Not only perfect in maise, but the mind too. Sometimes you can do the Avoidus just because of mitzvah anoshim lumada. It's a pity to serve Hashem without thinking. And so I would add that into the blessing. That would be a beautiful bracha for the family of Kohanim entering the base Hamikdash. The one who rests his name in the home should help you fulfill all the details without any errors and you should merit to do it all the shame shamayim. But no, the blessing is nothing like that. Nothing is mentioned in this bracha except for peace and brotherhood. You should live together b'shalom. You should get along with each other and live in harmony and achdus and friendship. It's a remarkable thing. Is that what you came here for? You're coming to the base of Migdash for friendship, for shalom. It's a family gathering. You're coming here to serve Hashem, to bring the korbanos. You're coming to bring the menachos and the ketoyeres and to light the menorah. And so we're learning something new now. Absolutely, you're coming into the base of Migdash to serve Hashem. But in what way? What's the most important way? The first way to succeed in Avodah Hashem? The answer is by not quarreling with each other, by being kind to each other and helping each other, by loving each other and living in peace. Of course, you must take care of all the details of the Avodah. Absolutely, you shouldn't make anything possible. And absolutely, you should do it L'Shem Shamayim. No question about it. But the very first and most important requirement is... It should be with Ava between the Kohanim. If you wish the Shekhinah should dwell in the Beis HaMikdash, number one on the list is that the Kohanim who are serving there should be serving together with Ava ve'achava v'sholom v'reyos between themselves. And it's no coincidence that we find those same exact words in the Sheva Brachas when we bless the Chassan and Kala because they're going now into their own little Beis HaMikdash now it's not in Yerushalayim Yerakoidish, and it's not a big beautiful edifice. Could be it's a small rundown apartment somewhere in Crown Heights or Flatbush. The pipe under the sink is always springing a leak, and there are mice that run around at night. No matter. This little home is a base Hamikdash. And when you walk into that home, number one on the list is Ava Ve'achave Shalom Vireyus. Love and brotherhood, peace and friendship. And so as the Chasan and Kala are standing under the chuppah, Afrum Hassan is saying a tefillah. He's shaking back and forth. The Kala is holding a little safer, saying tefillahs. Wonderful. What are her tefillahs about? Everything. Everything is important. But number one, her tefillah should be that no matter how mean and stubborn the Hassan is, she should be polite to him always. And him too. The number one tefillah for him should be that no matter how wild and nourish his wife will be, he'll always be polite to her.
They're both davening that they should always be treating each other with respect. Don't think it's not an important tefillah, because every husband is stubborn, and every wife is nadish. Everybody is foolish. You'll find out when you get married. All husbands are stubborn like mules. This you have to know. There isn't a husband who is not stubborn like a mule, and there isn't a woman who is not frantic about it like a wild cat. They're not what you thought they were. It's always different than you imagined. And if you think that what I'm saying is superfluous, let me tell you, that's the first thing you have to learn. You know, if it was up to me, I would institute in all the girls' schools, in all seminaries, courses for success in marriage. I used to speak at the Beis Yaakov girls frequently, and when I brought up this topic of studying for success in marriage, they thought of it as a waste of time. They wanted to hear, the good girls wanted to hear about the Mepharshim, what the Malbim says, what the Kliyakar says, what this Perush says. Now, that's wonderful, but the most important Perush is, what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu say on the subject of living with another person in the same house? And so when we're building a Mikdash of marriage, there are many things that you have to know about. We have to think about them. What things are you going to bring into your home? Certain things can't be brought in. You can't have a television or Gentile newspapers in the base of Megdash. You have to think about how you're going to raise your children. You're not raising children in a home like the rest of the world does. You're bringing them up in a Mikdash. What's going to be the spirit of learning Torah in the Mikdash? What's going to be the attitude towards Sadiqim, towards mitzvahs? What's going to be the table talk in the house? There are many things to think about. But the very first thing you have to think about is love and brotherhood and peace and friendship between the husband and wife, between the siblings, between the children and parents. Everything is important. But the first idea is you're coming into a house to build a place where the Shekhinah wants to dwell. The one who rests his name in this Jewish home, he should make peace between you. That's the very first, the foundation of all the requirements. If you want the Shekhinah to dwell in your house, and that's the attitude that maintains the Kedusha of the home, that's what maintains the holiness of the home, where the Malachim come in, the holiness of the table, the holiness in the kitchen, and living room, and bedrooms. It mostly depends on this one thing. Shalom. Like the Gemara says, Ishri Isha Shalom Benehem, Shechina Benehem. Where there is Shalom between a husband and wife, the Shechina resides between them. What's the difference between Ish and Isha? He has a Yud and she has a He. A Yud K, Hashem's name. That's how it's explained by the Marsha. There is a Yud and a He between them. But it's not Mashal, it's actually so. The Shechina is in your midst. At the wedding, they start out with that attitude of Shalom. When he says, It's a language of Kedusha, which means at the outset, there are three partners in a wedding. The Shechina is there at the wedding at the beginning. Only they mustn't chase it away. Every Chassan and Kala, it doesn't matter if they're married yesterday or 50 years ago, they have the function of maintaining the Shechina in the home. That's an integral part of their lives. As human beings, and especially as Shomir Torah, the Oyved Hashem must understand that his and her function in life is to maintain the presence of the Shekhinah in his marriage, no less than it was at the beginning when there was only Shalom. Now don't get mixed up when you hear these words and think like a Gentile. It doesn't mean that romance will be there no less than in the beginning. Forget about that. 
The young princess that you married, when she was 18, she was slim and beautiful. Now she's fat and she's wrinkled, maybe. It can't be helped. And what are you, anyway? You're not the same Prince Charming. Far from it. It's ridiculous. It's unreal to expect those feelings to exist forever. You have to be realistic. You're using the same bathroom. You sit and eat together. Sometimes you don't like the way she chews her food. She makes too much noise when she eats. Or she talks too much. Sometimes she doesn't like his ways either. You know, in the old-time romance novels, a husband and wife always lived happily ever after. That was always the end of the story. Now, to a certain extent, it's a good attitude. But actually, it's impossible. It's unreal. And people are in for a very big disappointment. It's a pshute cholom, an empty dream, that imaginary ideas that have been foisted up by a Western culture over the last 300, 400 years are 95% false. And it makes life impossible to live because we expect these attitudes to remain forever without any work. Romance is only before marriage. You know that? It's an instinct. That's all. It's nothing more than two dogs meeting in the street. It's the same instinct that you see when the male dog is barking on the street. In order to bring romance to an end, you get married. And now it's something else. And Rivka became Yitzchak's wife, and he loved her. Chayesara. After Yitzchak and Rivka were married, that's when they loved each other. And the love that develops after marriage, as in the case of Yitzchak, that's the love of a very close and near relative. Your wife is your closest relative, a special kind of relative. And that feeling of affection and love certainly develops and ripens with the years. So, of course, there's a happily ever after. You'll walk down together to the chuppah at your grandchildren's weddings. You'll be buried together in the cemetery. And you'll be together in Oilam Haba too. Sure, why not? But there's an essential ingredient needed to create that eternal bond of marriage. And we're learning now that number one is Shalom. Vishalva. Number one is It means a lifetime devoted to the principle of respect and affection and loyalty and helping one another. Even when you are married 50, 60, 70 years, that ideal continues to be the number one principle. Now, there's a special mitzvah in the Torah that everyone knows, but it's not spoken about enough. And that is if you're a from Jew, that has to be one of the major roles in your attempt to serve Hashem. Anybody who wants to serve Hashem, even in a moderate way, must make up his mind that this is going to be a major target of his life's aspiration. But what is overlooked by many people is that one of the most important opportunities to fulfill this mitzvah, or chas v'shalom, the opposite, is in the home with the spouse. Means that a husband is to love his wife like himself, and vice versa. Now, whatever that means exactly, we'll explain soon, but it's an obligation that stands behind the whole marriage. I'll explain that. The Gemara says in Kedushin that when a man is about to marry somebody, he shouldn't do it through an intermediary. He should first go and take a look at his intended, because later, if he didn't see who he was marrying, he might be disappointed, and he won't fulfill properly the commandment of So you see that this mitzvah that you should love your fellow Jew applies to your wife just as well to anybody else. The truth is, it applies much more to your wife. I'll explain that briefly. Pirke Avas tells us an important principle for Torah living. Everything depends on how numerous the number of acts are.
Pirkei Avos. If a mitzvah is done once, there's a reward for it. If a mitzvah is done many times, there's a much bigger reward. And Rabbeinu Yonah explains that it's not just because you did it more times. It becomes exponentially greater. Even the smallest mitzvah repeated a number of times, he says, is like taking thin cords and twisting them together and then twisting more of them together. And finally, it becomes a big, heavy rope. That's how great it is to repeat a mitzvah over and over again. Now, what situation is presented to a man or a woman that gives them the opportunity to repeat again and again the mitzvah of loving your fellow Jew? There's nothing like marriage. Because your uncle, your neighbor, your friend, you'll come into contact with him here and there. It's good, but it's nothing compared to your wife. You're in contact with your wife all the time. You'll have ten, maybe hundreds of opportunities every day. Thousands every week. It's like a thousand different people. And so, when a person is married, he must make up his mind that no matter what, he's going to love his mate. You can't escape it. And she should have that in mind too. There's no way around it. You're mechuyev to love your spouse. Did you ever try that? You see your husband, a fat old fellow waddling in the street, short and fat. You have to say, I love that man. It's a mitzvah minatoida. Why not? Hashem loves fat, short people. If they are Jews, shamre toida, he loves them intensely. More than anything in the world. And he loves them. So we love them too. Now, the fact that he's your husband doesn't mean that he's deprived of that right. Actually, the fact that he is your husband obligates you to concentrate on him more than anybody else. Halava, you should love him a fraction of what Hashem loves him. You have to work on it. And if you do it, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give you reward. What reward? Little by little, you actually feel it. Little by little, it's percolating down from your head into your heart. You see your wife walking in the street. She gave you a good tongue lashing when she walked out of the house this morning and you're still angry at her. You see her now walking in the street. She's coming back from the store carrying shopping bags. So you say, I love that woman. She's bringing home food for us and she's going to slave away in the hot kitchen so that we can enjoy our meals. I love her. Of course, if you say these words and then when she comes into the home, you're a tyrant. So it's not worth much. If you're complaining about how much money she spent, so you're upending the principle of av av achav v'shalom v'reis. The wife too. If she says she loves her husband, but as soon as he walks in the door, she begins to chew his ear off, to nag him constantly, then it's not worth much. Because when we say shalom and love and friendship, we expect real results to come forth from that mitzvah. It requires constant care with words. Politeness should always reign supreme in the house. Just like you feel differently when you're asked to do something politely. So you always ask your wife, please, you say, Sarah, will you please hand me this and this? Of course, the best thing is, is to get up and to hand it to yourself. I don't like it when husbands sit at the table and call to the kitchen, Sarah, a little more sugar, please. A little more of this. What are you, a cripple? Baruch Hashem, you have two good feet. Get up, you lazy fellow, and go do it yourself. But if you have to ask, say, please, each time, at least that much. When the wife needs money for the children, she comes and says, Chaim, I need money to buy shoes for the children, please. And he says, of course, Chana, here it is. And she says, thank you. Now, it's all superfluous, because that's his job. He has to supply that money. But by saying please and thank you, she has lubricated the relations of life. 
not only politeness, respect. Shalom means to respect each other. Of course, they don't insult each other. But even more than that, a certain amount of covet you have to show if you have derecheretz, when you speak to each other. You know, once you're married, she's not always putting on earrings and she's not always painting her face. You see her as the plain person that she actually is. And she sees you sometime with your suspenders without your capote. And so you might look down at each other. No, you have to be careful with the covet of each other always. Always do things in a way that demonstrates a certain regard for your mate. Hashem is between them when they're respecting each other. Shechina b'nehem, Hashem says. They are respecting me. I'm there now because they're living with an awareness of the Kedusha that reigns supreme in the Jewish home. And that's how they become successful. Not just successful in having a happy home. That's very important. But it's not everything. It's success in Avoid Hashem. It's how you build the base Hamigdash. Now, I know that it's easy for me to say these words, and it's easy for you to listen. But living that way, it's not as easy. And so you always find ways to think thoughts that will encourage that attitude of the mind. Here's a woman. She's working in the kitchen. Why shouldn't she donate one minute to think thoughts of respect, of gratitude, of appreciation? My husband is sitting all day long in Manhattan. He hates it there. He'd like to be back in the yeshiva, but he wants to support the family. He's laboring. Money doesn't grow on trees. It's very hard to make a living with competitors and difficult customers. And still, every day he went loyally. He did his job and brought the money home. He's paying the rent. He buys us garments. He paid for the grocery bills. He paid the butcher. He pays the tuition for the children. How grateful we are to Chaim. And the Chasen, all of his life, should appreciate the Kala. When she's an old Kala of 90 years old, and he's an old Chasen of 90 years old, oh, he should still appreciate his Kala. The fact is even more. A loyal husband is thinking all the time, look at all that she did for me all those years. She did to me kindliness. Kol yeme chayeha. All the days of her life. How many times did she cook good meals for him? She said, Chaim, can I give you a glass of orange juice? Chaim, do you want a piece of cake? How many times did she offer him tidbits? All her life. All her life. So it's not only at the beginning under the chuppah. The chasen looks at the kala and she looks at her chasen. They're nice looking young people. They're well dressed now for the chasen too. That's not the only time that they should appreciate each other. The older they get, the more they should study the sugya. By means of constantly reviewing these ideas in their thoughts, they learn to appreciate each other more and more as the years go by. And better yet, they can express the thoughts to each other. You're bashful. It's already 30 years, and you never did it before. Do it anyhow. Did you ever hear a woman say that? My husband, we are very grateful for all that you do for us. And he should always say to her, My wife, your cooking is delicious. You're raising up the children. An excellent job you're doing. The house is nice and clean. You're doing your best. I certainly appreciate what you're doing. Each one has to express gratitude to the other one. And it's by means of living this way. That's how you live successfully. That's what Hashem is looking for. And He's living between both of you. Just because of that. Just because you understand what the first and most important function of building a base Hamigdash and a home is. What is the first function of the Kohanim in the Migdash? It's a function of The one who caused his name to dwell in this house. 
he should cause among you the incoming ones, the new Mishmar. Ava ve'achva ve'shalom v'reyes. Love and brotherhood, peace and friendship. That's also the obligation you assume when you marry. And no matter how you are tried and tested, you should never yield. You have to fight the Yetzir Hara of arrogance, of selfishness, of trying to vent your feelings on your partner. It should always be your principle to maintain Ava ve'achva ve'shalom v'reyes in the house, no matter what. Now, Nobody is a malach. Nobody is completely successful. There are ups and downs. There are failures. Sometimes there are minor tragedies. But always a husband and a wife should keep before their eyes a mutual ideal. We want this place to be the Beis Hamikdash. It's the only home we'll ever have on this little earth. And therefore in our short little lives, why shouldn't we try to make the best of it? And if we live successfully, even partially successfully, by being kindly to each other, and by serving a Kalush Baruch by means of successfully living together, then we've lived on this earth for a purpose. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. We have the opportunity to invite the Shekhinah into our homes, just as Sarah transformed her humble tent into a sanctuary. The first requirement of those who enter the Mikdash is to pray for peace, because that is what makes the Mikdash an appropriate place for the Shekhinah to rest. This week I will be that spend one minute each day thinking of ways to increase harmony and thus Kedusha in my home.